someone, I um, have three questions for you, which I'd quite like you to have a go at answering. Um, I'll try and do so as well. You want to talk to me? Here's my first question. What does it feel like to be right? Great. Is, that's a good, good response. Normal. <laughs> there are some people shaking their heads, Morgan. What's that about? <laughs> okay, let's, let's try a different one. What does it feel like to be wrong? <laughs> Impossible, I hear. <laughs> what does it feel like to be wrong? Absolutely well said. If you learn something, it's kind of a good thing. I um, I went for a ride on Friday on uh, a loaned e-bike and quite fast along the roads, and uh, and I was I kind of judged the battery about right. I thought, and then I was at a um, at an intersection, and a bush had fallen off the roundabout, and I kind of had to break hard to hit that, and what I didn't know was there was a cyclist behind me. So I was just in my normal state, kind of enjoying being right, oh, it's fun to ride this bike, and then at the intersection he caught up with me, and uh, I discovered I was wrong. In actual fact, what it feels like to be right and wrong is the same. It's what it feels like to be found out to be wrong, to discover that you're wrong, that's tough. Because our status is, we assume we're right. Actually, that line, what's it like to be right? It was normal. It is. We all think we're right. You think the political party you vote for is the best party to vote for? You, uh, your favourite thing that you eat for breakfast? That's the best thing to have, isn't it? We think, our default is we think we're right. But in order for us to find out that we're wrong, usually somebody tells us. Or we read it somewhere. We usually find it out from some other person besides ourselves. And that's often not a good feeling, but I love Janet's comment. Without that, you don't ever learn you're wrong. There's no learning. One last question. What does it feel like to be loved? Yeah, fantastic. It's completely, our response to that is completely different, isn't it? Instantly we're thinking about feelings and relationships. And that matters because Christianity is about relationships. It is in the very nature of the Trinity, and this is my favorite, one of my favorite images of the Trinity. Some person has drawn three persons in community reaching out to humans, say, want to join in, want to be in relationship together? The Christian story, we like to talk about it as being right, wrong, truth, but it's about relationship, about receiving love and extending love about joining in a relational call. Here's how the Bible Project people um, went about trying to sum up Christianity. ...imaginable is the feeling of being alone. I mean, this is why solitary confinement is one of the cruelest punishments ever in human history. Yeah, we were designed for relationships. The most meaningful thing in life is to be truly known by another person. But... This can actually be kind of scary, too. I mean, what if I let people down? Or what if when someone learns who I really am, they'll realize they can't really love me? 
I mean, how are we supposed to really find meaningful relationships? And so the Bible speaks to all of this. It says that God created the world in order to share with us the beauty of existence. God's desire for us is to have significant friendships, to be part of families, to create things and to share our work with others. And all the while depending on God as our source of love and life. But here's the thing, there's so many barriers to that. There's loneliness, fear, hatred. And the Bible claims that these are a result of our being disconnected from God. Without God, we don't actually know who we are anymore. But at the center of the Bible story is Jesus, who wants to bring us back into a relationship with God. Jesus claimed that God loves us for who we are, and that he calls us into a relationship with him despite our failures. And when you realize how loved you are by God, that he is not ashamed of you, it changes everything. It gives you a source of love that is not your own. So the story of the Bible is calling us into the most important relationship. Yeah, it's calling us to know and be known by the Creator God Himself. We were designed for relationship. And once a month, we try and listen to some of our missionaries. We try and let them set the agenda. And they suggested that we pay attention to how woven together people are in communities. They have a, a line, wiri wiriya te tangata, God is weaving the people. So we listen to them. Let's do that. Oh, let's try that again. Let's just pause. Okay, practice your awkward silences now. We are all individual, diverse threads who are being woven into a beautiful picture. In obedience, we as thread are called to follow the weaver's hand, being pulled in tight to others whose life journeys are also being woven into the masterpiece. We've all come from really diverse backgrounds. My life and Lizzie's life couldn't have been more different to the lives of some of our ladies. Um, yet here we are in this place, running a business, being family for one another. We often say here that which means your life has a lot of value. And when someone is upset and threatens to leave or is going through a particularly tough time, they often just need to hear that we need you. We need you to be a part of this family. Without you here, our family wouldn't be whole. We need you. Three simple words that can offer hope to the helpless love to the rejected, and purpose for the lost. We need you to join with us in our mission, to stand united and to reach out to those who are feeling broken and alone. The way that we think that you can encourage people to um, see where God is working is just to talk to other people and have conversations with them, see where they are at uh, in their lives. One of the things you may notice, and hopefully you'll notice, is that lots of people are very different to you. Um, but the grand reality is that we all have Jesus in common, but yet Jesus allows us to all be very different with different personalities, different strengths, different skills. Um, but yet God uses all of us, and we all work together um, for his good. God does not call us to live in isolation. Instead, he is weaving us together, making use of our different skills and strengths to help him bring the beauty of the masterpiece to completion. 
Each thread is needed, and no single thread is more special than another. The true beauty comes from the combination of threads together. Many people are yet to know the hope and beauty that is found in Jesus. Please pray for us as we weave threads of hope and love amongst the communities we serve. Please give towards our work across Asia. We are family to each other. Your life has a lot of value. We need you. The family without you wouldn't be whole. And they talked about the importance of talking to others, something we touched on when we were exploring listening last week. I'm still struck by Lester talking of his desire to have a meaningful conversation with a stranger each day. The video talked about Jesus allowing us to be different, but that we aren't called to live in isolation and every thread is needed. And that's part of this kind of um, tapestry thing here is an invitation for everyone to contribute something so that later on you can look back and say, yeah, I'm woven into this community. Witty, wittier to tangata, God is weaving the people. And here's that verse Linda quoted. From the message, I want you to be woven into a tapestry of love, in touch with everything there is to know of God. Then you will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. In 2013, Linda and I went to Bangladesh, and one of the places we visited was this project. You can see some photographs here. Um, they'd done some basic things. They had, um, see the pump in the middle? They'd done that. Uh, the photograph on the side here is, uh, that's me on a motorbike, and what you can't see is that Linda, who's taking the photograph, is going to have to sit side saddle on the back of that motorbike, something that um, probably is the, um, one of the contributors to the number of grey hairs she might have. It uh, <laughs> wasn't flash. Um, what was really impressive is then we went to the site where there's a, a series of villages and what the project did is it gathered all these women, it gathered 20 to 30 women, and um, all of whom couldn't read. And so it had a project to teach them how to read. These are people my age. Or, uh, um, and, and during the course of this project of them meeting together and learning to read, they were taught some basic stuff about handling money and stopping violence and the dangers of having your, marrying your daughters off at age 13, which was common practice. When the literary process project was drawing to the end, it would usually take about nine months, when they had woven together a sense of community where there was honesty and care, they would suggest to the group of women, hey, you know, if you pulled your spare money you'd have quite a bit of power to make change. And so they did. One woman thought, well, if I had a sewing machine at home, I could sew T-shirts. I could pick up the bits from the factory and I could sew them at home and still look after the kids. And so the group agreed that they would invest. They found enough money to buy a sewing machine. It seems like nothing to us. And these are, you know, foot-driven sewing machines. And she got a sewing machine. And then each T-shirt she made, she would give a tiny bit of money back to pay back the group. Well, I'm told that her husband used to beat her and tell her she was useless. But suddenly, her husband noticed there was another source of funding in the house. He started to view his wife differently. And that money went back into the group, and the group said, what do we do next? 
How cool is that? That is a fragment of the church in Acts 2. Now, look, there's, there's not, it's not rocket science, but when we were in Bangladesh in 2013, I met a number of people who had micro-development loans. We were quite big on loaning money. Linda and I have been part of a Kiva group, lending money to try and help people dig their way out of debt. But a number of people I spoke to had done things like, well, I spoke to someone who'd invested in turmeric. Didn't know that was an investment, but apparently it is. But unfortunately, the turmeric market had crashed. Um, and so he'd just ended up in debt, owing money to the bank. But because this was a group of 20 to 30 women, if they got it wrong, it was okay. They didn't hold the debt. They just, it'd be someone else who got the next loan to make a difference. They were woven together. I was really proud of that project, and what's more, I had a little bit to do with it. Well, actually, most of us who were Baptists did, because some of our money went into it. That's how they did it. In fact, if you're a New Zealander, you had something to do with it, because the New Zealand Aid and Development Department, I don't know which department it is now, um, they decided it was so good that they were channeling New Zealand funds to this project. We can't do that but we can when we partner with others. And it's really cool when it happens. And you can ask hard questions. Was it mission? Was it Christian? Well, for me, I think the answer had to be yes. Was it good news to the poor? Absolutely. Were there Christians running it? Yes. Did the people know that God loved them and that they were special, or at least that they thought other people was, knew they were special? Yes. They were being woven into a tapestry of love. I reckon Christian communities are like this. They are trying to be redemptive, woven together and weaving together. God is weaving the people. And if you want to ask, what is the measure? What does a community like that look like? Well, in Psalm 82, it suggests that, well, they're the ones that defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed, rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked, because... Communities of God care about justice, care about making a difference. In fact, I read a measure this week which I got quite excited about, so I'll mention it to you. It just asked, it was asking about the work that we do, the things we do, and it just said, is your work resulting in victims or celebrants? Now, celebrants are kind of an old-fashioned word. We use it to describe marriage celebrants, don't we? What they mean is people who are victims or people who are celebrating because life is better. So the woman who's got a, uh, a sewing machine and whose home life is better and has incoming in, is she a victim or a celebrant? She's a celebrant. That's what we're trying to raise. It's a good question. It's a question you can ask about what you do. 24-7 workers. Well, you're not trying to raise victims, are you? No, we're trying to raise celebrants. You can ask it at work, and if the answer is victims, well, you want to have another look at your work. You can ask it at church. Does church create victims? Yeah, it does. Wish it didn't. We're not supposed to. We want to be a communities of grace where we're loving and supporting each other. But I've met and thought, spoken to a lot of victims, and probably you have too. But we're supposed to be gospel people. Put another way, Peter says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. This is partly why we support missions, is we want to do that, and we recognize that we have need here 
now. A block away from here, there was a murder last week. We have need here and now, but there is dramatic need elsewhere. So what kind of weaving does God do? I wanted to suggest three ones. I'm going to be pretty short and simple. The first one is, I thought I saw it in that community in Bangladesh. I think it's there in the communities of free set. It's communities of grace. Churches and missions often try and create communities of grace. And in free set, the community of ex-sex workers learning what it is to work a different way and support each other. In Thailand, we have workers who are helping people make fish ponds so they can grow fish and support the family. Trying to weave together communities of grace, much like those, those little bamboo things are woven together. What holds the... It should just fall apart, shouldn't it? It's little bits of bamboo. They want to be straight. The thing that's holding it as shape is it's woven together with other bits, which is how we're supposed to be. Connected enough with others that we have shared life. They help hold us together. So in our context, it's hard to do that in a group this size. You probably don't know everybody here or everyone's stories here. So we run life groups and we look for smaller gatherings and we keep trying to encourage you, encourage each one to grow relationships with each other, to have some shared life. Life together, woven together. If there's a formula, it is simply to spend regular time with other people of faith. They say the markers of a dysfunctional family is that people just come and go like strangers in the night. I've been in flats that were like that. But the mark of a good family is one that does stuff together. The mark of a good flat is that they eat together and they play together. We could and do call that church. It's one reason why Parklands calls itself a community church, is we want to be that, woven together, not alone. That's why, look, I've been proposing this kind of thing of... Um, a membership commitment talking about walking in the ways of Jesus and talking about walking with this community so that you have shared life with a sense of travel. The second weaving, so communities of grace, the second weaving is a simple one, is communities of communities. But what I mean is we're not alone. It's easy to think because we get together and you only see each other here and we think, oh, well, we're at. But churches actually aren't independent. They too are connected to other churches. We've tried to feed that here by getting together with Oxford Terrace and Opawa and Delta Church, building a bit of a relationship over time. It's quite cool. Our problems, I ring them up and say, what do you do about this? They ring me up. We compare. Slowly we're building a relationship, becoming a family, which to a large extent that's what denominations are. They're families. And like families, they do some things really well. And most families have odd ways they do things too. Well, I know not everyone's excited about this, but we're a Baptist church, and that means we get some of the wonderful things that the Baptists do, and it means we have some slightly quirky ways as well. It kind of goes with being in a family. But something bigger than just us. And then the last one is parachurch communities, which is these mission organisations. In the Catholic world, in Catholic theology, there are, I believe, only three institutions. 
family, church, and mission organizations. And the thing of the mission organization, it is there to do what family and church can't. And so our examples of that might be Mission World, might be Transcend, World Vision, MAF. Anybody here be able to build and support and uh, run an aeroplane? No. Any church that's brilliant at this? Probably not. So we partner with MAF because they can. And so we have a bit of a play in how they work through supporting. And it's tricky. It's tricky at times like this with COVID where the threads and relationships that we've taken for granted, they're different. But, wiri wiri a titangata, God is weaving the people. I want you woven into a tapestry of love in touch with everything there is to know of God. Then you will have minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. What does all that mean for us? Well, there's some feel good in you're part of a church. Churches are connected to other churches, not out on their own, that we partner with bigger mission organizations. If there's a challenge for us, it is what is the life we have in common? What is our shared life? Who are the people with whom you can talk about the tough stuff? How are we woven together? It's been a tougher time, I think, not having a building to do that. But a building won't be a magic solution. Some of it is life groups, making a commitment to regularly get together with others. But you can invent your own. You can have breakfast with people or regular coffees, and people do. You can have meals together. We all eat, and it's not that much harder to cook for, for two people than four or four and eight. How are we being woven together? I want you to be woven into a tapestry of love in touch with everything there is to know of God. And then you will have their minds confident and at rest, focused on Christ, God's great mystery. And then a woman in Bangladesh will have a husband who doesn't beat her because she has a sewing machine because she's partnered with a bunch of other people and they've shared their money. I want in on that, God's kingdom. I said I was going to be short. We're going to sing the blessing as a benediction. And then there'll be tea and coffee and a chance to connect. And I've forgotten something. Hold on. No, I haven't. Uh, and for those who may not have seen it, um, uh, Beverly Blakemore passed away this last week. Um, there's a funeral on Monday. Um, at Papanui Baptist at 10.30. Uh, we would love for everyone to hold Alistair Winsome, Beverly's family, in their prayers. If you can make it, come. Um, our weaving together is always a bit unraveled.
It's always up. <laughs> One day we are woven together well. Beverly is now. Okay. Thanks, Linda.